Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... Oh, drop the mad mutilator. So, Eric, I have a, an 80s classic that I watched that I've never seen before. I want to see if you can try to guess it. Is this the episode? Are we going? Yes. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> Is that cool with you? Should we, we should start that's, with something else? That's totally cool. I just didn't realize we were starting. <laughs> I often don't realize when things start. <laughs> I think we'll just leave that in and continue. So, Perfect. 80s. 80s classic. Let's see if you can guess it. Uh, let's see. What's a good hint? I, the main Pretty actor will give it away. The main actor will give it away, but I'll go with someone else in the movie. John Lithgow. I mean, I'm going to need more than that. Chris Henderson. <laughs> nope. What was, the, what was the second thing you said? Chris Penn. Bruce Penn? What? No, Chris Penn. Oh, Chris Penn. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not best of the best, although it should be. Um, uh, okay, here's, a, here's one. It's got some music by Kenny Loggins. I'm drawing a blank, and I'm going to feel real dumb, aren't I? <laughs> it stars Kevin Bacon. Footloose? <laughs> yes, Footloose. <laughs> I so, do yeah, not remember Chris Penn in that. He's the uh, the friend that can't dance. He's probably my favorite yeah. part of that movie. This is um, like one of those movies that is an 80s classic that I've seen, but not enough to really care about or remember it. Okay. Well, it's the first time I saw it. And let me tell you, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a classic for a reason. I don't think it's like, a, a, if you just look at it objectively, I don't think it's a great movie, but it has like that charm that you really want from something that stands the test of time like this one. Kevin Bacon is great. John Lithgow is like the almost the heart of the movie, you know, as a villain who with a uh a good conscience trying to do the right thing. And it's got some really great almost dancing. Almost like a Thanos. Yes, yes. <laughs> he is the Thanos of dance in the Midwest 80s. Got a great like Midwest location, you know. It's I'm still always nostalgic now when I see a movie from this time period of like real landscapes and buildings and things, you know. It's yeah, it's we don't have buildings rarity. anymore in the, in the <laughs> no. near future. <laughs> no, no, just in movies, you know. It just never feels like it's in a real place, you know. This is in a real place, and it's got a great uh, game of tractor chicken, and great choreography and the dances. It's just a fun time. I really enjoy it's it. It's almost as good as the Julianne Huff version. <laughs> I mean, nothing compares to Julianne Huff. No, she's definitely the star of any I really movie hope she's in. listening. Hi, Julianne. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my, uh, one of my big movies. I saw this since our break. I needed something to get out of horror season, you know, to get away from the horror movies. Since I knew we'd have to watch one for our for our uh, pick of the week. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, thank you. How about you? Did you see anything fun? 
Well, can we talk about the big movie that I know we both saw that I have a feeling oh. we have very conflicting views about? Yes, I, I completely forgot Killers about of this. the Flower Snooze or something like that. <laughs> Just really boring, uh, long movie that we both saw. Scorsese's epic Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, yes, it was long, but I thought... I'll, I'll give you my take on it. I was happy to sit in that town with those characters and have the story kind of slowly develop. And did it? I, I thought that's what made the movie interesting was that it took its time giving you the sense you of place. <laughs> yeah. To not to, it doesn't really tell you anything. You're right. It kind of just shows you, um, yeah, there there's what could have been done in exposition exposition is instead done with like half hour long scenes We're not of done at all. other things. <laughs> right, but you know what's happening, you know? You at, by the end of the movie it's a clear picture of what was going on and the story and It's really not. Okay. I learned more from reading Wikipedia for about 30 seconds than I did in three and a half hours. Okay. Who's Charlie Whitecorn? Okay, well, names, I don't, I'm not good with names. Who are so. the people who die in this movie? Nobody. Nobody who dies is anyone in the film. There are these two girls' sisters who were in the movie for about a scene each. I had no mm-hmm. emotional attachment to anybody, which maybe you can make the argument that Scorsese is treating the victims of these crimes as these faceless dehumanized things because that's how they were treated by the white men. Mm-hmm. But that is a very ineffective way, in my opinion, to tell a story. Okay. I so had no emotional that... connection to anything that was going on. I still don't know what Scorsese's characters was getting out of this thing. He was getting none of the money that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to get. His motives are weird. The whole thing is it took so long and I still had so many questions about people's relationships, people's motivations, what was going on, not mm-hmm. what was going on. Exactly what you think is going on is going on from the first minute. Right. Yeah, yeah. But for a movie that takes so long and lets you sit there and watch things for so long, mm-hmm. I left with so many questions. I only left with interesting questions, like how much... Did Leo Leo DiCaprio's character know about what he was doing? Yeah, that's a pretty important question for the main character to not know what the main character was doing or thinking. Was he in on it? Was he on board? Was Mm -hmm. he a pawn? But I like that you don't know. I think that's just an interesting question. And um, I think the movie gives you enough to make your own opinion about it. Mm, I disagree. I did not like this movie. I feel I like was... if anyone not named Scorsese made this movie, you could knock a good 20 points off the Rotten Tomatoes or Letterbox score. I Scorsese made a mob movie, <laughs> and this is a mob movie. If you read about it, it's kind of like an organized crime thing. Yeah, definitely is. So he went with what was comfortable. And I think that this story really should have been told more Instead of telling it from the point of view of all of the white people, I would have been much more emotionally invested if it was told from the Osage people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, again, that I could... nobody who dies in this movie is in the scene for more than a scene. 
And it's usually well, the I, scene where they get murdered or the one right before it. <laughs> well, who cares? I agree. Well, I, I was thinking... You're think not even watching this movie through the deterioration of the... The main character is married to Leonardo DiCaprio, and she's one of the Osage people. And the yes. plot involves basically killing all of her sisters so she inherits all of the money. Yes. So then Leonardo DiCaprio will have all of the money. Mm -hmm. How it reminds me of that uh, episode of South Park with the underwear gnomes where it's like, step one, kill all of the family. Step two, question mark. Step three, Leonardo DiCaprio is rich. <sighs> Only in this one, it's like, well, OK, what does that have to do with Robert De Niro? Well, in because real life, Robert De Niro was going to kill Leonardo DiCaprio's character. That is nowhere in this movie. It, well, it totally is when you think about that paper that he that he had Leo sign that basically said, I'll get every, you know, I'm your next of kin if you die. I do not recall that scene. I wonder if that was the one time I had to go to the bathroom because, again, this movie is three and a half hours long. <laughs> There's a scene where, uh, towards the end, where um, Robert Nero character character convinces Leo to sign a document that says I'll inherit everything after you go just in case it stays. So it stays in the family. <laughs> yeah. Why would he trust him? I mean, it makes no sense. <laughs> Nobody's character guy in, in the world. <laughs> He's not even smooth. It's... He takes out an insurance policy and burns his field like two days later. Yep. But I think, you know, uh, that just shows how, how much power he thought he had that he does have in the town, but doesn't really translate to outside that town. Why does he have that power? It makes no sense. I'm sitting here. I don't know what his role in the town is. In the opening scene, they show a, like a, a badge, like he's a law enforcement officer, but he's not. They're mm -hmm. driving to his house and Leonardo DiCaprio asks the Osage man, whose land is this? And the guy says, it's mine. But then they're at De Niro's house. Like, what is his job? He owns a ranch like right outside do? of town. <laughs> He's just a rich ranch but owner. He says that's his land. It's so poorly explained. Everything is dumb. Uh. You should... <laughs> like, I know that that's the case, but it's never shown in the movie. You would mm. or should think that that is the Native American person's land. I guess it's De Niro's, yes. question mark, even though the scene right before that... Like, I thought for the first couple minutes of the movie that Robert De Niro was like his house servant. Because the, the <laughs> okay. interesting dynamic in this town is that the Osage are super filthy rich and all the white people are like scrambling for their money. Mm -hmm. And you're never explicitly told or shown, oh, actually, Robert De Niro owns that land, even though the Osage guy says that's his land. Right, right. Until much later. And that's that's a concurrent problem. Uh, I'm sorry, a recurring problem for me in this movie is that things that seem one way are never explained, never shown. Mm -hmm. And you're just left to kind of figure it out and say, I guess that's what's happening, which is not. There's a difference between, I think, having faith in the viewer's intelligence to figure things out. Right. Or being confusing. And this was confusing to where, like, I guess he's going to kill Leonardo DiCaprio. Maybe. I don't know. So I don't want to discount your experience, but I will say that 
I had different thoughts when I first saw that opening scene about who the characters were and their relationship. So I, my impression after the opening scene was that Robert De Niro was a rich landowner dad land next to the Osage land, which you're right. is not explicitly said. It was just, you know, my interpretation of it. So I can see how, um, there could be issues because you're right. It isn't clear. It isn't clear. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't get why everyone except for this is a Scorsese movie is like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Just like, (laughs) I never want to see this again. Okay. Well, if you give me a two hour cut of this movie, which is probably how long this movie should have been, Mm -hmm. I will watch it. And I'm sure it's great. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm sure someday someone will do a recut of this film to a normal length. Um, And it sucks because there's some really great stuff in this movie. Visually, uh, the scene where it opens, or I guess right after that opening scene of Mm -hmm. them striking the oil, it's in super slow motion. They're dancing, the oil's raining down. Really cool. There's a couple cool sequences like that. Like Scorsese Mm -hmm. makes a really good looking movie with amazing performances by the ace actors, but I just, it did not resonate with me. I did not care one bit about anything that was going on in this movie. I was, I kept waiting for it to pull me in and I'm like, I don't, it was such a poor job for three and a half hours. What my wife said as we were leaving the theater was I expect to feel something for the people who are getting murdered and taken advantage of. And we didn't even know them. So why am I watching this movie if I have no personal stakes in what's going on? Right, right. I was I was happy to watch the movie from um, the the main actress's point of view, and that's where I got my emotional stakes from her and Leo's relationship. She spends ninety percent of the movie in the bed. <laughs> well, like not ninety percent, but yeah, there's a good portion of it. Yes, I agree. <laughs> But it was enough. Even that, I was bothered by what is what is the chemistry with her and Leonardo DiCaprio? There's the scene at the church where she's like, they know that the white men are only after them for their money, but they're still dating and getting married to them. I'm like, I need to know more about these dynamics. I need to understand what's Mm -hmm. going on here. I mean, it's it's Leo, man. Just look at him. (laughs) Leo with really bad teeth. Which were probably yes. pretty good for the late 1900s, or early right. 1900s, rather. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so I think all your criticisms are mostly valid. I, I think we just had different experiences with the movie, as usual, which is why we as usual. have a podcast. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, it is a movie I want to revisit, because I did like it, but I want to see if I still feel that way when I watch it again, because I thought it was very good. I was engaged the whole time. I can't wait um, but, to actually read the book because the little I've read also, mm-hmm. I try to give a lot of credit to filmmakers for making adaptations, especially of something like this. But I feel mm-hmm. like this is the perfect example of something that really should have been a limited series. Okay. There's like way yeah. too much going on that this felt at one time rushed while still being really boring and taking its time. Okay. Me. Yeah, well, report back after you read it. I've heard good things about the book for sure. 
So that's all I have. Uh, well, then let's uh, let's let's move on to a less contentious movie that I watched. Let me see if I can find one off my list to to bring back up the room. Did you watch uh, uh, the new um, David Fincher movie, The Killer? I haven't yet, but I really want to. Okay, well, I liked it. Um, it's uh, starring Michael Fassbender as an assassin who uh, is on the run after a botched job. And that plot sounds completely boring because that's the plot of every like thriller movie nowadays. But I trusted David Fincher to make it interesting because he's a very interesting filmmaker. And it was... <clears throat> It was more interesting than I thought it would be. It is a. It's more about the process that this person goes through to remain anonymous in our uh, technological world. You know how the the systems that are in place now allow for someone to to like basically not have to interact with anybody in their life. You know, it you can get everything. Easy. You can get everyone, everything delivered to you. You can order everything online. You could like uh, get digital codes to get in places instead of like getting a key from a human. It's just a lot of things like that that are in the movie that are highlighted that I think David Fincher is trying to make a point about something uh, in regards to that anonymity in modern society, but I'm not sure what the point is. Um, but it's still it's still a good thriller on the surface. So I enjoyed it. Gave it three stars. I think it's a an interesting. It's a solid thriller with like some interesting things that could be uh, that that could come to the surface if I think about it more. But I haven't figured it out. Well, I really like Michael Fassbender in general. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, and there's some other great uh, cast members in that movie as well. So yeah, check it out. I saw so, a movie that I know you're not going to see, and apparently nobody's going to see. Uh, I, I think I know what it is. Yes. Is it? Were you right? <laughs> yep, that was right. I definitely am not seeing it. I told you last time. Yeah, I'm done with Marvel. So. Yeah, it was fine. As expected, you know, probably entertaining and forgettable. It was exactly yeah. what you would expect, unless you're one of the chuds who won't see it because of some imagined uh wokeness contained in the movie just because it stars three women um i think it's more of the same of marvel which is just kind of like fine for two hours and forget it as soon as you leave the theater Uh which is a shame because their tv series are so amazing i'm really glad that they are stepping on the brakes a little bit and gonna focus on putting out higher quality movies instead of the deluge of mediocrity they've been exposing us to for the past, you know, outside of a, a movie here or there the last couple right. of years. Yeah. It's been like what, four movies a year or something. It's like every quarter there was a Marvel that, movie. That coming even out. seems was... like conservative, mm-hmm. but I guess maybe well, compared to what they were in the beginning where it was like maybe two movies in a year, maybe it was mm-hmm. only four or five a year, but oof. So do you feel like I've read that um, Marvel started to become a little too um, collapsed under its own weight where you kind of need to have watched a, cu- a couple of the TV shows to really understand what was going on in the movie or at least enjoy it more? Is that true? 
Um, so I don't think I think they're doing as good a job uh, as possible of making a movie that you don't need to watch the show to understand. Mm-hmm. But I do think you get extra layers of enjoyment if you have watched the shows, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. there's a character in this show, um, and I did see it with my wife who does not watch the Marvel TV shows with me. Uh, Ms. Marvel, who's like the teenage character. Yes. And I feel like I liked her character a lot more than Gina did, for instance, because I watched the show and I got what was going on with her. It was a continuation of her storyline to an extent. Her the the last scene of her show ends with like basically the first scene of the movie or one of the the early scenes of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really sets this up directly as well as the Monica Rambeau character was in. Um, the WandaVision show, but you don't need to see them for it to make sense. It's just, it's a much more fulfilling experience if you have. Okay. Got it. Because I remember watching Dr. Strange and being confused as to why, um, Wanda was, uh, evil, (laughs) but that's because Um, I didn't watch the show, but it wasn't a big deal. You know? Well, I would say everyone was confused about why Wanda was evil. Even people who did, especially people who watched the show. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that was, um, that was a very, very big misstep. I thought they basically undid WandaVision is a beautiful show that you should watch. Mm -hmm. Um, and they basically undid her entire character arc from the show in the movie. And there is a reason why she becomes evil, but I feel like you had to see it. Okay. Okay. If that well, makes sense. Are you you going to continue with your Marvel journey? Always, because I just watched Loki, and it might be one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. Oh, really? What did they do about Jonathan Majors? Just, like, not mention him anymore? Well, talk about a minefield. I don't know. There <laughs> are all kinds of rumors on YouTube. Who knows? I'm not, like, a big rumor hound. Uh, right. But I guess they're supposedly considering moving on from Kang, even though he's been set up in a bunch of different material, including Loki and Ant-Man to Dr. Mm-hmm. Doom. I don't know how much uh, validity there is to that. I don't know if they're going to let Jonathan Major's legal woes play out. I really don't know that much about what happened. Um, I guess mm-hmm. he's been accused of domestic violence, but I don't know the story at all. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's so brutal to me that you can have this whole career in your hands. Jonathan Majors in the last like three years or so has really kind of exploded onto the scene out of nowhere to me. And like you're going to do something that dumb. Uh, Yeah, well, potentially, allegedly, you know, like it was before he became famous that the allegations came from from what I remember. But still, you shouldn't do dumb things. (laughs) Yeah, don't like. Don't beat women. I don't. It's not that hard. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I was curious if Loki addressed that uh, because I remember he was in the first season of Loki. He was, and he's in the second one, and he's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the story's great. I really love the Kang character. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like they shouldn't move on from Kang, and if they have to, if he's actually guilty of whatever the accusations are. They should just recast like they did with Terrence Howard. 
I mean, it worked. It worked I mean, fine. Terrence then. Howard I mean, is a genius who invented math, and they moved on from him. So, right, they did the same thing with the Hulk, Edward Norton, and no one really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I glossed over the Terranomics thing that you. Terranomics, baby. <laughs> Zero does not exist. <laughs> One plus oh, one man. equals four, or whatever, whatever <laughs> nonsense he came up with. Oh my god, what a guy! I just watched Hustle and Flow again because I love that movie, and he is so good in that movie. But he's just a weirdo in real life. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, he's no Taraji P Henson in that movie, but you know, <laughs> what's that song? That song is a banger. No, there's a whoop that trick, and it's hard out there for a pimp. It's hard out there for a pimp. That's my jam. Yeah, I think that great. if I had a theme song that played every time I entered a room, that's what I would pick. <laughs> and just just have her sing that that uh that have, hook. I would have Taraji P Henson follow me around whenever I entered a room. She would just sing that. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, after I watched the movie, I went and watched like the Oscar ceremony stuff because that song won the Oscar for best song. And it's so funny, the live performance, because they do this great live performance. And then you have all like the, uh, like, I don't know, the Hollywood white folk in the audience, like, try, you know, like Helen Mirren and people like look at watching this show. And it's just weird to see them like trying to understand it. <laughs> I bet Helen Mirren gets out. Right. I'm just using her as an example. Name she Helen was not, Mirren. I don't think she I was bet. in that. <laughs> if there was one grandma level actress that I would hang out with it would either be Maggie Smith or Dame Helen Mirren 100%. Oh yeah. No, I agree. I that was a bad example. I don't think she was in the audience but like you you if you go and watch it you'll see what I mean. <sighs> All right, Eric, should we get into our main topic? Or is there anything else we you want to talk to? about? Actually, I don't have a whole lot to talk about it. Okay. We are going to say well, more words in our review of Ogroff the Mad Mutilator than there were in the entire <laughs> film. I think I just did. So, uh, all right, this was off my my list, so I will explain what this movie is. Ogroff, also called the Mad Mutilator, from 1983, directed, written by, and starring N.G. Mount. Eric, over the decades of cinema, there has been an evolving canon of elegiac tone poems... We have Cornell's Rose Hobart, the work of Godfrey Reggio, Herzog's Lessons of Darkness, the experimental films of Stan Brackage, Andy Warhol's Empire, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. To this prestigious list, we must add Ogroff. Is Ogroff a masked madman wandering the forest and murdering anyone who comes near? Or is he a lone warrior who is all that stands between humanity and a basement full of war zombies? It does not matter. He is Ogroff. He wears a beanie and drinks human blood from a ladle while staring directly at the camera. He hates children and chess and cars and loves his axe a little too much. His chainsaw doesn't even need to be on to cut human limbs. He is Ogroff. That's basically the plot. <laughs> Thank you. I, I needed to write something beautiful for this movie. This movie looked like it was shot on film that someone found in a toilet. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. So I, I guess I didn't really give it a real description. It's, it's like a regional horror film from France made 
by this one guy who plays Ogroff, the killer in the movie, who's this masked guy wearing a beanie. Would be this would be a great Halloween costume, by the way. <laughs> and it looked like he couldn't decide whether he wanted to uh, ape Friday the Thirteenth or Leatherface, so he did a little mm-hmm. bit of both. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and it opens with this uh, family stopping at the side of the road and then Ogroff murders their kid and then the father and then captures the mother and brings her back to his shack After in the, the woods. longest, most boring foot chase in possibly <laughs> the history of cinema. Yes. With, and it, and it, it does seem like they did not record sound on set at all and only recorded dialogue when they absolutely felt like it. There's like, like you said, I don't know, seven lines of dialogue in the whole movie. And then just this droning synth score over the whole thing. Which is like all over YouTube as well. The synth score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. They, so, they don't have any idea how to mix sound at one point. I think it's the first and only line in probably the first hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. The music cuts out for them to dub like the speech yes. onto, Completely and then it silent. <laughs> complete yeah. silent, except for whatever the line of dialogue is, and then back to music. It's yep. great. It's great. Yep. It's confusing. There is that very long chase scene where you can clearly see there is no one actually chasing the woman, presumably because Ogroff is the director, and I would imagine the director of photography. Who yes. is filming her running away from nothing on a dirt road? Mm-hmm. But then he also is behind her sometimes. It is. <laughs> I remember that movie we made with our friend when we were freshmen yes. in college and he what was a senior in for. high school. Mm-hmm. What you wish for. That movie is way better than this one. And that was not a good movie that we made. <laughs> I totally agree. I actually had that same thought because this looks kind of like that where it's just a bunch of people running around in the woods pretending to be in a horror movie, (laughs) you know? This Um, movie is full of just random things that happen, like all of a sudden, Nazi zombies. Yes. Um, My favorite look is the very beginning, during the middle of that very extended running away from Ogroff scene. Mm -hmm. This car pulls over, presumably to help the woman. Yes. And Ogroff just gets this dejected look like he starts walking away sad, holding his axe. But the people who stop to pick her up are trolling her. They just like let her get close to the car. And then he says, use your legs, dummy. It's good for you. And then drives away. And I'm like, what What is this? And it was, I mean, that was not the moment I knew I was in real trouble. Yeah. You knew that that was just reinforcing that already formed opinion. Mm-hmm. based on the horrible exposures and everything else that happened in the movie. Yes. To that point. Yeah. There's a lot of like, yeah, it changes from day to night randomly at times. And so he does capture this woman eventually brings her back, ties, ties her to his murder pole by a shack and then like tries to set her on fire and then gets bored and stops. <laughs> or like can't do it. <laughs> That's a part of her face off to feed to his dog. But then oh, yeah. in the next shot, there is like not even horrible makeup. Like mm-hmm. I don't it's so weird. Yeah. The makeup's bad. The filmmaking's bad. It's mean spirited and nonsensical. 
Um, but I found myself kind of intrigued by the, the like the droningness of this. It was like I don't know. It kind of like sucks you in, like a weird magic trick. <laughs> that makes yeah, I mean, any it sense. certainly sucks. <laughs> how, 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 um, and then the plot kind of changes at some point. There's this other girl that just shows up and is in the city, and she's like walks up to a car, and the, and the someone in the car says, "No, we can't take you to Ogroff. He he knows those woods like the back of his hand. He can't be found." <laughs> And, no uh, one and can find Ogroff. He knows every tree in those woods. Yeah. And then we There's don't know why. Like where they find newspaper articles about how he killed a bunch of Germans in the woods. Or no, <laughs> he, he fought a whole legion of Germans or something, but mm-hmm. won't say what happened to them. Right. And when we is it because he killed them all? Was was what the article said. Yeah. That's the only plot we really get. There, this woman eventually finds Ogroff, and um, Ogroff is going to kill her, but then realizes that he likes her, or she he, she reminds him of his mother, or something like that. Well, he was tired and, of extubating. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, would you like to describe that scene? Because I don't think I can stomach it. Uh, well, there is a scene where um, Ogroff gives his axe a handjob. Yeah, basically. No yeah, but he is holding it like it in in where his penis would be in place of his penis, and mm-hmm. he gives it a, a thorough uh, waxing. Yes, um, and it goes on for you know a few minutes, as does most quite things a, in this quite movie. A, quite a bit longer than it needed to. Yep, that's what she said. <laughs> so anyway, Ogroff takes this woman into his house, and then they just like sleep together. It's like normal. She just like lives there for a little bit. I was very confused what her intentions were. I'm glad I didn't miss something because I will be perfectly honest. I had a hard time paying attention to this movie. Mm-hmm. It was, as you said, very droning, very yes. just. There's no plot, and you're just watching things happen which sounds like watching a movie but this is not a movie no it's not this is just a series of visual images put in an order that with only makes a semblance of sense like tree of life yeah (laughs) maybe better but yeah same thing (laughs) and um at least there were no dinosaurs although there was just about everything else from zombies to vampires to teenagers (laughs) or early 20s drinking and playing chess in the middle of a field. Right. As they do in France. As they do in France. You can only assume they had little cigarettes and wine somewhere. So I was very confused because this woman that he takes to live with him, I I don't know if the actress changed or the outfit changed all the time, but I was like, wait, is that the same girl I was just watching or is this a different person? I, I had that feeling for a lot of the last half of the movie. Like, who is this girl? Is that is that Ogroff's girl or someone else? Yeah. Yeah, I also think, didn't the original woman, um, like, free herself briefly or find his hut and was walking mm-hmm. around and all of a sudden, I don't know, he has, like, axes and other things hanging on the walls, but then she cuts herself on a fish hook and just like yes. shows it to the camera. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, I, I just hope they had fun making these movies because there was no joy had in watching them. The uh, the so-called plot kicks off a little bit when that woman, the later woman, finds that there are zombies in Ogroff's basement that he was feeding all of his victims to, I think. And she accidentally lets them out. Uh, and then she's running away from these zombies and then Ogroff comes to fight off these zombies. And she escapes and Ogroff chases her in this cool motorcycle ride that he does. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Normally uh, you would think that a guy riding a motorcycle wielding an axe would be just about the coolest thing. It is yeah. not. You know what this this I I had moments of uh being rem- reminded about Mandy watching this because there's a chainsaw versus axe fight. It had a chainsaw. There is I had that fight. thought as well. <laughs> there, right. And then the motorcycles riding the axe. I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of like a heavy metal Mandy thing. It's like the shittiest possible version of Mandy. Yes. Uh, and then eventually Ogroff gets killed by these zombies and the woman escapes only to be picked up by a vampire in a car. Well, which... no, by a priest who needs priest... to get home before <laughs> yes. sunda- sunrise. And that is a famous French actor, by the way, that guy playing the priest uh, in a lot of classic French movies. So I don't know how he ended up in this one. He probably got to set and was like, oh, boy, (laughs) they said I get a day's pay, but is it worth it? (laughs) Oh, my God. So I did a little bit of looking into um, NG Mount. Yes, I forget his name, his real name. But he apparently is a video store clerk. He owned a video store and he just made these movies for fun with his friends. Awesome. This is his highest rated movie on IMDb. He has several other films which are all somehow worse. Although (laughs) I have a feeling that this this has like a 4.8 or something, which it deserves all of one star. Um. I have a feeling it's it's rated highly like a joke, like the reverse of tomato bombing. Right, right. Like I, the, the people that I follow on Letterboxd that I enjoy have the same tastes with have given this film like five stars. So that's why I had it on my watch list, because I, I saw a lot of people who watched it and liked it. And yes, it's it's kind of like how you give the room five stars. Yeah, there's no way these ratings are real. Right, right. It's just their enjoyment of the movie ratings. And I'm glad because that was on my list of things to ask you. Um, Do we have to have an intervention? And why is this on your watch list? So I'm glad you answered that. (laughs) I do think your your watch list uh, probably needs a culling. I don't know why you have so many shot on VHS and uploaded directly to YouTube videos on there. (laughs) This is the second one in a row, I think, that we've watched. Well, I will say that I um, I add movies that I find interesting through podcasts or from other people's reviews, and I find a lot of movies interesting. I did a culling recently and got it down to 800 and something movies, and maybe I'll, I'll knock out a lot of these uh, low-budget horror movies, but I really like these dumb low-budget horror movies. I want to watch them. <laughs> Oof. Um, 
Well, Ogroff dies, and this woman gets killed by the vampire. I honestly don't remember what happened to the woman. It just kind of... I was in the zone, absorbing well, the movie. it was very confusing, because yeah. in one scene, they're just driving in the car, and it just cuts to the vampire dragging a woman out of the car and biting her neck. Yes, she dies. Okay. She's wearing the same shirt, but you see nothing of the woman, I don't believe. And then the... Uh... In the credits scene, we see that Ogroff is alive. There's a credit scene? Away. I missed it? Well, well, not really a scene, but the credits roll over the still image of Ogroff now standing up with the axe in his back that had we thought had killed him. So he's still alive. Oh, thank God. Hero yes. lives. Yep. Ogroff forever. Mad Mutilator 2, please. Please. Leave it open for a sequel. <laughs> So overall, I think the movie's horrible, but I stand by the fact that while watching it, I was sort of like zoned out and engaged at the same time, like, like almost like it got into my brain somehow that that droning music, the the sound, the no dialogue, the the shots that were just so strange, like the one I mentioned earlier of him drinking blood out of the ladle while sta- staring into the camera. Just such like an indelible image that is going to be stuck in my brain now, even though it makes no sense and is bad narratively. They used the same shot of just a close-up shot of an axe hitting a piece of cloth that had, I don't know, ground meat or something underneath mm-hmm. it, like raw meat that's just mm-hmm. poking through holes that were already in the cloth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. those are the level yeah. of effects that are in this movie that are just phenomenal and you know like Peter Jackson did that in B- Bad Taste his first movie and that movie is like a joy and fun and really well made um, this movie it, it just goes to show that if you have like the same tools talent really uh, shows <laughs> you know well that's what, something I kept thinking when I was watching this I'm like you can make a, a basically a, a gore-free or a gory movie without having any effects or know-how just by filming things the right way. And mm-hmm. he clearly has no idea how to do that. Right. Like how many murders happen in movies where all you see is like a, a close shot of an axe as it, you know, goes out of frame and then comes back and it's bloody and goes out of frame a couple times or a knife or whatever the weapon is like you don't mm-hmm. need to show penetration right right i mean uh, that's the first time you said that you. <laughs> yeah yeah well but yeah he just didn't know or didn't care to know how to mm-hmm. how to tell that story effectively it sounds like from what you said about his bio that he just had fun making these movies and you know more power to him i mean Good for him. He's yeah, his plan, uh, apparently, from something I read, was to make these movies and then try to rent them to his customers. <laughs> that's 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 cool. That's a cool thing to do. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine just getting this you know, recommendation from some weird video store clerk. <laughs> I would have rented it with that cover. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. Mad Mutilator, I have no idea what I'm going to rate this because I would recommend it to people who like this sort of movie. 
like bad horror movies. This is like one of those really weird ones that you're, has its own kind of vibe that's unique. Apparently um, the genre of film is called Z movies. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Great Z movie. Yep. So I would recommend it to people who like that sort of thing, these bad regional horror movies. But not any normal movie goer. <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, do not watch this movie if you like yourself. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I may be at like a two and a half stars. Who knows? We'll see. I would give it a half star. Normally, oh, my, my lowest baseline is a star because making a movie is hard and, yes. and anyone who makes a movie deserves a full star. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is so bad. The most I can give it is half. You tried. Wow. But not even very hard. It's like you wrote your name on the test paper and that's it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, you got the 200 points for filling out the top part of the SATs. Oh, man. Mostly well- correct. Well, thank you for picking this one, Eric. It was it was a it was a fun discussion and a fun watch. You're welcome, I guess. Uh, I think I'm gonna go first, if you don't mind, with what Please I do. Saw. So I, like I said, I was really vibing with the this movie, uh, for one reason or another. So I thought of what movie would give me that same feeling, but might actually be good. And there's a movie that I've always been meaning to watch um, from 1982, Koyona Skatsi. Have you heard of it? Nope. <laughs> it is a uh, video essay or a filmed essay sort of about um, our world. And all it is is shots of uh, natural beauty of the United States and then some unnatural things that happen in the world, like, you know, bombs and buildings being torn down and uh, humanity just, like, rolling over these this, this the natural beauty of, of our world. And it's all done to the uh, a, store, a score by Philip Glass, a much-lauded score that everyone seems to love. Philip Glass is a cool composer. I'm sure you've probably heard some mm-hmm. of his soundtracks. So this movie is considered one of the greats, you know? Um, and it was pretty great. I sat there and I vibed for 80 minutes just listening to this Philip Glass score and watching some beautiful shots of, of uh, the Utah depths and uh, uh, California highways and nuclear bombs and zoomed-in microchips and just like... The structure of the movie goes from um, natural things to like what humanity has brought upon this world, and at the end, it kind of gets pretty depressing, you know. About uh, we're going to destroy ourselves someday, and this movie kind of shows it happening. <laughs> and this almost also sounds like the Tree of Life. Yes, it was like the Tree of Life, except this is not pretending to be a real movie in any way. This is purely just images, no dialogue, no narration, nothing. And it's marketed as that, just like beautiful shots. Would have been great to see like on a big screen. Um, And if you're a fan of classical music, it's got great score. 
it's just an interesting uh, experience to watch. I recommend watching it at least once in your life. Maybe take an edible and watch it, <laughs> like a lot of people do. I did not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Kuyona Scotsi, 1982, by Godfrey Reggio. Apparently made two more of these that are not as well-received. But this was How the one that started. It's only 80 minutes. I guess it's a lot for no dialogue or anything. But really, it, it just kind of flew by. It's rated really highly. 4.3 on Letterboxd. I would give it a 4. It didn't earn the point three in your eyes? Well, you know, I'm not going to give it a 4.5, and I can't. I think a 4 is good. A 4 is a nice, solid rating for me. Ooh, maybe I'll check it out someday. Yeah. I had to floss Ogroff out of my brain, and Nazi <laughs> zombies are a thing that Ooh. I'm not into, but I really want to be. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever actually seen a Nazi zombie movie, but I've known they exist for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, I should say the thing I really wanted to watch, because when I read about this movie and that, uh, I think his actual last name is like Multier or something like that. Multier, Mm -hmm. Mountier, something, uh, came up with this plan to make a movie and rent it to his, uh, video store patrons. Well, there's a, a drive-in movie theater in Canada who also made a film specifically to get people to show it. It's called Corpse Eaters. I could not find this anywhere, unfortunately. So that's what I would have watched if I could have. Um, Also about zombies, which is kind of weird. What I ended up watching was the 2018 film Overlord, uh, directed by Julius Avery, written by two guys who have some crazy crazy good writing credits uh billy ray who has written captain phillips uh the terminator i believe it's the most recent terminator movie uh let me look it up his other credits hunger games richard jewel gemini man volcano state of play like a lot of stuff Uh, also by mark l smith who wrote the revenant the whole martyrs the new one the marsh king's daughter twisters um, yeah, I didn't know Overlord had such a good pedigree because I'm a, I'm a big fan of Billy Ray ever since I saw his the movie he directed Shattered Glass. I haven't seen that, no. But um, yeah, well, you know, and I knew it's a J.J. Abrams production. I I had actually thought that he directed it. I was wrong, but it feels very J.J. Abramsy. Mm-hmm. It's just a really fun movie. I thought. Um, it starts with this really cool opening scene. I guess the story is basically saving private Ryan with zombies. Uh, it's this, this force is parachuting into, into France. It's the day before D day. So they have to go and take out this church, which is vital to the Nazi communications so that, you know, there can be air support or something. It's not really that important. Mm -hmm. They end up in this French village that has, uh, taken over this church and they're using it to, as it turns out, perform medical experiments and try to create super soldiers, which creates, I don't know. They're not exactly zombies. I was a little disappointed that it's not for real zombies, but it is basically <laughs> kind of sort of undead super soldiers who are not right. <laughs> So close enough. There's a really cool 
opening scene of them on this plane as they're getting shot at by all of the Nazi gunners. Um, the main character parachutes out of the plane. It's really artistically done as um, the camera kind of stays in this medium shot as he is tumbling through the air. So the camera is tumbling like synchronously with the character as all these tracer rounds are kind of exploding around him. A really cool, cool, definitely JJ Abrams esque action scene as he's just like hoping to reach the ground alive as most of his comrades get shot up. Really cool. Um, And I, I came to the realization. It's something that bothers me about myself as a viewer that I can get hung up on little things in movies um, mm-hmm. and it'll ruin the movie. And I think this I movie. Not really... that. <laughs> yeah, shut up. You know, it's true. <laughs> yep. But I think it's all about expectations and okay. certain films set an expectation. And when, when films are mm-hmm. setting those expectations and they're receiving a certain level of adulation, it's much harder for me to not expect things from them that they don't deliver. I think one of the better examples is Christopher Nolan. He always Mm -hmm. has these like really cool movies that everyone loves, but there's always something really dumb in them. Okay. And I can't get past that because people are like interstellar. It's this beautiful, amazing movie and they're not wrong, but it's still full of characters doing insanely stupid things like going to the planet that is going to take by far the longest instead of going to the other two first. Mm-hmm. And it's specifically right, right. to set up this moment. It's like this engineered thing. And I just can't get past it. This movie, you know, you're seeing. If not exactly a Nazi zombie, JJ Abrams movie, a Nazi zombie adjacent JJ Abrams movie. So mm-hmm. you can forgive all of the little dumb things in this movie because it's not trying to be that. And I think this movie is a great example of a fun dumb movie that is not a good movie but is just supremely enjoyable because it knows what it's doing and god damn it it's gonna do it and there's nothing wrong with making something purely for entertainment i got what i wanted out of this movie it was the right movie at the right time okay yeah that's well well said well said i totally agree with the kind of like meeting the movie on its own wavelength you know and if you're watching a, a movie that's just dumb entertainment, then it's allowed to be dumb entertainment and just enjoy it. Yeah, this movie is dumb entertainment, but that's all it wants to be. I will yeah. say that I do kind of wish that there was a little more Saving Private Ryan in this because it is a very similar kind of setup. There's this at the end of the day, this small, I think there are four or five people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes across almost like the filmmakers you know, checking things off a list, you know, formulaic. Whereas I I would have loved to have gotten to know some of the characters more yeah, and had some of those moments. You know, there's the, the wisecracking New Yorker guy who's kind of an a-hole. Oh, and then at the end of the one. movie, there's like, <laughs> yeah, then there's like a little boy who's in the movie and he's just like a dick to the little boy. It's almost like they realized, oh, by the end of the movie, he should be a nice guy. So at the end mm-hmm. of the movie, he is a nice guy, but there's no... You know, there's no emotional weight to it, which is fine. But I guess that's why this is J.J. Abrams and not Steven Spielberg. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's J.J. Abrams trying to be Steven Spielberg. <laughs> 
Yeah, but if I if I had a criticism of this movie, it's that like they could have done that and didn't. But at the end of the day, maybe they didn't want to, and I'm okay with that too. Okay. I would still cool. give it a solid three and a half. Based Excellent. on enjoyment alone. And it is, right. it looks good. It looks like a well-made, cool movie, because it was. You know, it had, I don't know what the budget on this, I didn't bother to, to look at it, but it looks good. It looks like um, there was nothing, like, jarringly bad about the effects. So it's just like mm-hmm. a competently made, boom, boom, things blow up Nazi zombie movie, and I really enjoyed it. Cool. Well, uh, I think we successfully got through an episode about Ogroff, which is good. <laughs> I wasn't sure we were going to make it. I know, but we did. And now we can pick something off of your watch list. Ooh, I'm ready. Which I have been looking through, and I think your description of Overlord pushed me towards this movie. Let's Uh-oh. go with twenty twenty three's sixty five, starring Adam Driver. Ooh, <laughs> Adam Driver. I already know what dinosaurs. this movie is about, but I can't wait to watch it anyway. <laughs> I know what it's about. I actually heard uh, some people on a podcast um, recommend this in the same vein you're recommending Over Overlord. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like that kind of movie, right? Yeah, totally. And then I heard something about the plot, which I won't say now, which was a little bit of a spoiler, which made it all the more uh, fun sounding. So, I mean, it's not about the twist at the end, is it? I don't know about a twist. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know where it comes in the movie. I won't say it. We can yeah, discuss I should, it. I should say episode. at the end. I don't know. I feel like people didn't realize what this movie was about, but I, I think in retrospect, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, that's probably what it is then. <laughs> All right. So I guess we'll uh, we'll reveal what we're talking about on the next episode after we actually watch the movie. Can't wait. Such Sights to See, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening. And as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.